Hello and welcome. My name is Kyle Nielsen, and this is How You Level Up, a podcast where I ask questions to help you become your best self. Today we ask, who is Siddhartha Gautama? Siddhartha Gautama was born near the foothills of the Himalayas, modern-day Nepal, around 566 BCE, and died around 486 BCE. The exact year of his birth and death are uncertain, though it's widely accepted he lived until the ripe age of 80. His birth name, Siddhartha Gautama, is often translated as he who achieves his aim. Because it was so long ago, the stories of his early life have likely been embellished to a degree. How much is up for debate. He was of the Sakyas people, and his father, King Sudhodana, was the leader of the large Sakyas clan. His mother, Queen Maya, died shortly after his birth. It was prophesied by a sage that Siddhartha would either become a great emperor, a kakavati, or a holy man, sadhu, based on whether he saw life outside of the royal palace or not. The king, hoping for his son to be a great king like himself, shielded Siddhartha from religious teachings and from knowledge of human suffering by confining him to the palace for much of his life. Siddhartha spent his youth in luxury, educated in music and martial arts. He married at 16 to a cousin of the same age named Yashudra and had a son named Rahul. Despite his father's efforts to only allow healthy and lively people on the street when Siddhartha would leave the palace, Siddhartha was confronted with the realities of human suffering when he left the palace for a series of rides known as the Four Signs. On one particular ride, Siddhartha saw an old man and was struck by what it meant to grow old. On the next ride, he encountered a sick man. On the third, he encountered a dead man being carried to cremation. These first three signs taught him that the king and the palace could not stop the transient nature of existence, that there was nothing that could stop suffering and death. On the last trip, the fourth sign, Siddhartha met a mendicant, which is a religious person who lives through begging. Siddhartha was inspired by this last encounter and decided to seek spiritual solutions to the previous problems he encountered. That night, at the age of 29, he looked for the last time upon his wife and child and left the palace and embarked on a spiritual quest to understand how to overcome suffering. This is known as the Great Departure. For six years, Siddhartha pursued a life of extreme mendicant, learning from various religious teachers of the time, learning a little from each of them, though still missing the deeper answers he sought. He then began to practice what is known as mindfulness meditation, and he finally resolved to sit under a bodhi tree and meditate until he found the truth. After 49 days of meditation, at the age of 35, he is said to have attained enlightenment and became known as the Buddha. Siddhartha is also sometimes referred to as Sakyamuni, which means sage of the Sakyas. The name Buddha is an honorary title meaning awakened one or enlightened one. Siddhartha, 
Sakyamuni, the Buddha, whichever name is used for the individual, his teachings thereafter formed the basis of Buddhism. Taking the Buddha's early life more as a parable, the palace represents complacency and self-delusion, while the four signs represent the realization about human life and nature. Said differently, we will construct mental barriers to keep unpleasant realities at bay. Some scholars have argued that Buddhism, while widely considered one of the world's major religions, is more like a collection of sub-traditions. It's a philosophy, a code of ethic. They argue this from the point that Buddhism does not believe in a god that created the world and the creatures in it. Buddha denies that such a god, capital G, exists. Though Buddhism does believe in the supernatural, like spirits, and small g gods. The small g gods appear in Buddhism through different means. Some of these gods are characters and stories who live in a different realm than us and have problems of their own to deal with. They play no particular part of interfering with humanity. Other gods are referred to in rituals, leading to a more symbolic archetype than a creature who you can pray to and engage with. Westerners frequently attempt to superimpose the idea of Norse or Greek gods over the Buddhist gods, though they are not the same. Buddhism has been influencing human civilization for over 2,500 years, and it is practiced by millions of people worldwide, offering guidance on moral conduct, mindfulness, wisdom, and the alleviation of suffering. At the heart of Buddhism teachings, there are four noble truths, which serve as a framework for all of its philosophy. The first noble truth is the truth of suffering, dukkha. Life is fundamentally characterized by suffering, dissatisfaction, and discomfort. This suffering isn't merely physical pain, it also includes existential unease and dissatisfaction. This is by no means nihilism, it is just an acknowledgement of the reality we all face. The second noble truth is the truth of arising, samudaya. The cause of suffering, the first noble truth, is craving or desire, tanha. This craving is not only for physical pleasures, it is also for being something or non-being of something, which can lead to attachment and subsequent suffering. For this truth, the more we crave a thing, the more we desire an outcome, the more suffering we will endure. The third noble truth is the truth of cessation, nirodha. By eliminating this craving or desire, it's possible to end suffering. The state of cessation is known as nirvana. This truth is simple as a statement and ever so complex as an action. In order to practice this truth, pretend that you want something right now, something that you don't necessarily need and don't necessarily want. For example, pretend to want a particular type of pen or a notebook that your friend or coworker has, a pair of shoes that someone you just saw walk past you. Feel yourself craving this thing. Make a note of this feeling inside of you. Does it feel good? Does it feel bad? 
Now tell yourself that you don't crave that thing, whatever that item was that you chose. Say to yourself, I don't want it, nor need it, nor desire it. I am whole without it. And when you do this, what do you feel now? If practiced authentically, the feeling of desire will fall away from you. It is a fascinating experience. And now imagine what it would be like to apply this practice to more complicated desires. The desire you have, which is the nice car, the nice house or apartment, the nice clothing you think you need, the status of a position, that surplus of money. The less that you crave things, the less suffering you will experience. The fourth and final noble truth is the truth of the path, the maga. The path that leads to the cessation of suffering is the eightfold path. The eightfold path is known as the middle way. It offers a balanced approach that avoids both indulgences in worldly desires and severe ascetic practices. An ascetic person is one who renounces material comforts and leads a life of severe self-discipline, especially as an act of religious devotion, like a hermit or a recluse. The Eightfold Path, the Middle Way, provides ethical and spiritual guidelines to develop wisdom, moral conduct, and mental discipline. The path is as follows. Right view, right resolve, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, and right meditation. Right view could mean to accept the Buddha's teachings as fact. Right resolve could mean to make a commitment to develop. Right speech could mean to tell the truth and be thoughtful and sensitive. Right action could mean to abstain from wrongful behaviors, such as murder. Right livelihood could mean not engaging with things that cause harm to others. Right effort could mean gaining ownership and management over thoughts to cultivate a positive mind state. Right mindfulness could mean to cultivate constant awareness. And right meditation could mean to develop mental serenity through various teachings. This eightfold path and these elements aren't sequential stages. They are interconnected principles that should be pursued simultaneously. The first two, right view and resolve, are about wisdom. The next three, right speech, action, and livelihood are about morality. And the last three, right effort, mindfulness, and meditation, are about meditation and concentration. We're going to return to Buddhism in a future episode to unpack more about this unique philosophy. And for today, perhaps tomorrow, consider these four noble truths. Consider the Eightfold Path. How might you identify some of the desires or cravings that you have? What would the Eightfold Path mean to you if practiced? What might change in your life as a result of it?
Thank you for listening to another episode. If you're enjoying the show, open up the app you're listening to this on and hit the like or subscribe button and give a five-star rating. At least twice a week, you'll find a new episode asking you a new question so you can strengthen your emotional independence, improve your communication skills, and upgrade your personal philosophy. So if there's a question you'd like me to dive into next, send it to any of these social media accounts connected in the show notes here. This is all about how you level up.